Welcome to the Disability Arts Online and Mind the Gap podcast. Disability and, bringing together thoughtful discussion and debate. This month, Disability Arts Online senior editor Colin Hambrook chats with Emma Greenwood, area manager southwest of the Trussell Trust. Hi and welcome, Colin Hambrook here on the uh, Disability and podcast, the Trussell Trust, and we have Emma Greenwood, who is the area manager for Southwest England, um, whose job is to ensure the delivery of the Trussell Trust's vision to end the need for food banks in the UK by developing an in-depth understanding of food banks in her area. Emma, can you give us an overview of what the Trussell Trust is and, and, and what you do. Sure. Thanks, Colin. Yes. So the Trussell Trust um, supports a network of more than 1300 food bank centres across the UK with the aim to provide practical support for people that can't afford the essentials, but also at the same time, to campaign for change in a future where food banks aren't needed because everyone has enough money uh, to pay for those essential costs. And so I work as an area manager, as you say, in the Southwest, and I get the privilege to support um, 22 food bank teams uh, to help them do what they do, responding to the needs in their communities as well as possible uh, for as long as they're needed, but also to help them think about some of their spheres of influence and and what are some of the um, levers that they have to really build a future where people can afford to buy food and essentials for their households themselves. Thanks, Emma. Can you tell us a bit about your experience of food bank need and disability and or poor mental health and the, the connections in the, in the area that you support? Yes, yeah, so I think in all of this, I myself have never had that lived experience of needing support from a food bank. So my insight really and perspective comes from being involved with food banks and working alongside food bank teams. Uh, So really helping to understand uh, the stories that people have when they find themselves um, coming to a food bank for support. And I think it's a really a really key thing that in the work that we do as the Trussell Trust and also through our food bank teams is that there are various inequalities that are exposed by who we find being driven into poverty and and driven to the doors of a food bank. And what we see when you're looking at um, disability is that people with long-term health conditions are actually more than twice as likely to be food insecure than those who don't. So there's a really strong correlation between people living with disabilities or uh, in a household where disabilities is something that they are um, kind of living alongside is having a big impact on the numbers of people that are needing support. And uh, have you seen any changes in food bank need since the pandemic and the cost of living crisis? Has, Has that need gone up, do you think, amongst amongst disabled households? I think if we speak generally, when I talk to food bank teams, they said right at the start of the pandemic, the pandemic shone a spotlight on the problems and inequalities that were there at the start. Um, It was really clear that that groups that were struggling pre-pandemic 
it, it just showed that that need was there before COVID. But then when COVID came, it started to peel off layer upon layer of people that were just about managing and getting by. And I think what we see with the cost of living crisis is that there is this acceleration of that, that more and more people are, are finding themselves um, struggling to cover the basics. I think what we see, and this is where, the, again, the link with, with disabilities and households living with disabilities is that the main drivers for people coming to feed banks are problems with the benefit system. There's problems with lack of formal and informal support. And then inevitably, there's issues where people are facing an unexpected change in circumstance. And quite often, that unexpected change in circumstances due to um, ill health or disability, and that can compound all those drivers. So I think when we speak to our food bank, sadly, the picture is, is that need is accelerating and that more and more people are finding themselves not being able to cover um, the food bill or energy bills. So yes, I think it's really important to be having these conversations and again, looking at the inequalities that this exposes. It's a very worrying picture, isn't it? And, and um, in your experience, what, what sort of impossible decisions are people who walk through the doors of food banks having to face? One of the things that we try to do at the Trussell Trust is really amplify that lived experience in the stories of people coming to us. And I think I've come across a, a couple of stories recently. Um, one that really struck me was from someone being supported um, by a food bank that when faced with an energy bill that they just didn't know how they were going to um, pay the, the thoughts that were going through the head was, right, what time am I going to go to bed? So am I going to go to bed at nine o'clock or am I going to go to bed at eight o'clock in order to, to make a saving on my energy costs? Um, other decisions I've, I've heard about people feeling that they couldn't provide their family with the fruit and vegetables that they wanted to buy because they knew that they were going to be forced to buy cheaper food, which is often not as nutritious as they would have liked. And I think I found a story really from someone that had turned to a food bank for support that was talking about you know, doing so much work already, working as a secretary and a cleaner and also with a family to support. And then they had a diagnosis of cancer at an advanced stage. And after the treatment, the kind of the impact of that meant that they weren't able to continue with their, their job and the work that they were doing. And the fact that they had no money and bills, actually the choices that that person was making was between whether they could afford uh, to have a, a shower and have shampoo and have toiletries. And actually that decision was making uh, the quality of life really, really difficult. And really that would have been having a massive impact on, on her health and her ability to, to kind of respond and, and keep going with, with the treatment. So things like that are making mm -hmm. real impacts on people. And have stories around the difficulties of disabled people accessing health services um, come, th come through your experience at all? It's really interesting you said that. I was in a food bank just this week and, and we talked about what is needed to, to help people. And the first thing they said was support to navigate the benefit system because we know that and particularly for people that are living with disabilities and other health conditions it is so difficult and almost at every stage of that process 
they really have to to fight or to push um, for getting the support that they need. And the second thing they said was that access to the, the right advice around their health, both physical and, and mental. And it was really interesting because I'd not looked at it in those terms before. Um, but I suppose it does speak into that picture of where the support is and whether people can get it at the right stage. And the other thing that we often hear from, from food banks, and I think this particularly relevant around the mental health side of things, is that support often isn't easily accessible at those early stages of needing help. And by the time they get to a, a point where they are able to get support, it's, it's often escalated and is often much more difficult. So, yes, I think they are messages we're hearing from our food banks. And, and I, I guess the, you know, the, the quality of food as well that, that people are able to, to, to buy, that is going to have an impact on, on, on health as well. I think we find in our food banks on that note that whilst the, the standard emergency food parcel is the non-perishable items that obviously are much easier to collect and to distribute and to store, um, there's so many examples of food banks in our network and, and other frontline emergency food provision is really trying to make good food and fresh food and vegetable accessible. So we hear stories of, of food banks that give out vouchers and um, for their local veg shop or their local butchers so there is this real desire to enhance the, the dignity of the food that's on offer and as you say would have benefits for people's health as well. That uh, segues into the next question I was going to ask which was ab about the support other than emergency food that food banks in the Trussell Trust network provide to people facing financial hardship. All of my food bank teams are there because they have a real desire to show compassion to the people um, that are in need of support. And so whenever you go into a food bank, you always get a real genuine sense of warmth and friendliness and just an open door. And I think a lot of what food banks do is alongside distributing the emergency food, they demonstrate that there's someone there that actually has time and has a real desire to to help and to understand so a lot of what I see are, are volunteers that are so immensely skilled at listening and are really able to demonstrate that genuine care but also as much as possible provide really good joined up signposting to local support or to national support and it's been so difficult for our teams over COVID because a lot of what they did was stripped right back because of the lack of contact that people had when they came to the doors of a food bank but it's really encouraging to see that being built back in again so now that people are being invited to come in perhaps and spend a bit more time in a food bank setting so that genuine welcome combined with opportunities to link people into support at the earliest opportunity um, are really key to the work that our food bank teams do we've got quite a big focus at the moment what we're calling financial inclusion projects but are essentially projects that aim to help people maximize any aspect of their income so making sure they're getting the benefits that they're entitled to or whether there's any support that they need with, with debt or accessing various local crisis grants and things. So the idea that at that point of coming in contact with a food bank team, there will be multiple opportunities to see whether there's anything else that could be done um, to help put money in people's pockets or, or bank accounts. And there's so many other things aside from 
finance um, that food bank teams are able to do in terms of linking in with groups that might reduce social isolation or support with a variety of things. So communities are, are amazing. And, and especially since COVID, we see such uh, collaboration and joined up uh, support and just knowing what other people are doing. So I think that that's something else that feedback mm. teams have to offer. Mm. Yeah, I can, I can imagine the sense of community that comes through through the work that you're doing must be really, really important. Re- recently, the Chancellor announced support for households in Britain and Northern Ireland in response to the cost of living crisis, including additional support for disabled people. And I, I wondered what your thoughts are on, on that. We really welcomed the changes or policies that came into play in May, where the government have taken action um, to mitigate the worst of the cost of living crisis, particularly for people that that are experiencing the lowest incomes. And we know that because of that action, there'll be people that will be prevented from needing to turn to a food bank for support. So it's very much a direction of travel that we welcome. But we know that in order to really effectively maintain a social security system that works for everyone and that enables people to bounce back or to just be supported when they need that um, support, from a social security system that the investment needs to be longer term and it's not about one-off payments so we are continuing to talk um, to national government about the policy decisions that would mean that we have continued investment in our social security system in particular to protect people um, from debt and destitution and, and the reality that the social security system needs to be there to support the numbers of people that are struggling with those essentials. So we've got a lot more to, to say and, and a lot more that we think the government can be doing, especially around the rates of benefits, that they will always be paid at, at the adequate rate. We've, we've got a lot of research into that. And there was a survey that said 5% of people surveyed uh, said that their disability benefits uh, covered the cost of living. So 5% of people that were receiving benefits around disability said that that covered the cost of living. So there's lots more to do to make sure that actually the benefits that people are receiving when they're encountering uh, disability and ill health are actually meeting those basic costs. So I think that presents the scale of, of what needs to be done around benefits in particular. Yeah, yeah. Benefits are such a, a, a barrier uh, and um, increasingly so since the benefit and reform changes that have taken place over, over the last um, 10 or 12 years, I think have kind of successively made it harder and uh, more, more difficult to access benefits. And the way that everything's gone online and um, people in that position are not necessarily um, au fait with online systems and and filling in um you know benefit forms there are so many more barriers that are being put in the way what what do you think needs to change in order to ensure that no one in society needs to use a food bank i think one of the key things that actually links in with what you've just said about the barriers that people face just to navigate a system to ensure that they get what they're entitled to is really 
symptomatic or is a really good example of how quite often the, the systems that are in place to support people aren't designed with people that have experience of having to navigate those systems. Um, so I think one of our, our big themes at the moment, and we're speaking to ourselves in the Food Bank Network as well about this, is how much are people with that lived experience really shaping how those systems are designed. And um, one of the things that really strikes me when I've had the privilege to sit alongside someone and, and hear a bit about their journey is how much resilience, in particular when you are struggling with ill health or a disability, it takes to continue to navigate that system and to present the information that you're asked to present and and all against a bit of a backdrop where you're constantly having it seems and again I don't have lived experience of this but it feels like you're proving what you can't do or what you're unable to do and just spending five or ten minutes talking to someone which is perhaps the extent of how I get to understand it a little bit to see what that that does in terms of eroding people's um dignity or or just you want to see something that's more empowering and more supportive. So I think a lot of what we try and do is, is point people and point national government and local government policy decisions to really include people with that lived experience. So the systems that are designed are fit for purpose. We're really keen to have these kind of conversations. We think that changing minds is really important because there's a danger that food banks and emergency food provision is seen as acceptable and it just merges into our landscape that is never questioned. Um, so wherever possible, we want to be having these conversations to say that it's not OK and that we think as a society we can do more to, as I say, design some systems, but also have this understanding that it's not somewhere we want to be as a society where people are needing emergency food support in increasing numbers and then there's the changing communities side of things and I've already mentioned that that doing all we can to provide strong formal and informal layers of support at every level so that people are linked into advice and support where that exists at the earliest opportunity and also talking I suppose also at local authority level to make sure that where they have crisis grants or discretionary funds or support around arrears or anything like that, again, because that support exists, but it perhaps isn't always working as effectively or as well advertised or accessible as possible. So there are other ways that we mm. think we could work towards the future where food banks aren't needed. Thanks, Emma. And is, is there anything that our listeners could do to help support the work of the the Trussell Trust. Anything practical in terms of get it, getting those messages out there? Yes, I think there's there's practical ways that people can respond. So find out where your local food bank is, and you can do that through the Trussell Trust webpage. Um, and increasingly find out what food items your food bank actually need, because we are experiencing food banks that aren't getting. The, the right levels of donations or the right types of food. So find out what your local food bank is most in need of, and then you can make a practical donation. But there, as I say, are other ways of making sure that these conversations continue to happen. And there's lots of opportunities to follow latest campaigns. We've got um, the cost of, of living um, section on our website, and there's lots of ways to engage through our social media. So there's some really good things to, to read and to be informed about. And there's always ways to join us in that general campaigning. Thanks, Emma. I think it is a disgrace, the 
the way that the country's gone considering you know the wealth that that this country has and and how we're we're apportioning that wealth and um really applaud the work that that you and the the trussell trust are doing thanks ever so much for speaking to us on the podcast today thanks colin Our thanks to Emma Greenwood of the Trussell Trust for their frank and informative contribution to this month's podcast. Further information on the Trussell Trust can be found on their website at www.trusseltrust.org. Next month, Mind the Gap's assistant producer, Paul Wilshaw, speaks to Coronation Street star Liam Bairstow and CBB's presenter, George Webster, about their careers and what it's like to be successful television actors with Down syndrome.